Summer drinking season is long, which is why non-alcoholic beer is a great addition to your cooler. But what makes you reach for one NA beer over another? Is it great flavor, variety of styles? Maybe you just like a cool can. Well, no matter what you're looking for in a great non-alcoholic beer, the answer is always athletic. Great flavor, it's athletic. Award-winning styles, it's athletic. Huge variety, guess what? It's athletic. From IPAs, extra dark, sours, hazies, and more, to summertime favorites like light brews and goldens, it's the number one NA beer brand in the U.S. It's athletic. Ask for it. Fit for all times. Enjoy them anytime, anywhere. Think about it. You're hanging out at the beach. Maybe you're going to a music festival, ball game, camping, late night, early morning. Wherever the summer takes you, the best part is zero hangover the next day. This summer, ask for the only non-alcoholic beer you need to know. Athletic. Head to askforathletic.com to find it near you and use the code TA2024 to get 15% off your first online order. That's code TA2024 at checkout for 15% off your first order. Near beer. Exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company. Fit for all times. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday on the Athletic Podcast Network. And it's another hoops adjacent episode of the Athletic MBA Show. David Aldrich here in DC, in LA. Waz Lambray. Waz, what's up, man? I'm good, man. You know, I just I woke up I, for whatever reason I couldn't sleep last night, or I just woke up really, really early, and I said, why don't I do something smart for once and work out? So I used the time to work out. I worked out this morning. I feel good. You know, I feel good like a, accomplished. You know, I can't I can't work out early in the morning. I've tried to. I'm like, I've tried to do like the 6 a.m. joint, roll out of bed, get right to it. Uh, I mean, I can do it, but it doesn't feel, I feel awful. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) I got to, I'm a late more. I'm like a 10 to 2. That's usually my best window for some reason. Mm. I don't know why. I don't know why that is. I I can't do it late in the afternoon. It feels wrong. Do it after like 2 or 3, but I don't know. I'm glad you can do it though. More, It makes sense logically to get it done first thing because then you have everything ready to rock and roll. Uh, We will have uh, Sarah Kustak, who is the uh, top analyst on the Yes Network covering the Brooklyn Nets uh, in a few minutes. Wanted to start out, though, wanted to give some props and some flowers to the great Elgin Baylor. Uh, he passed on Monday at 86 and was I don't think he ever has gotten really gotten his due. Mm-hmm. Certainly not from from the modern heads who do, literally don't know what he who he was. They don't have any idea of who how great Elgin Baylor was but to me he was the he's the first connection between the kind of old smoke-filled NBA mm. <laughs> with set shots and shit <laughs> and the modern NBA because he's the first guy to me that played the game the way the guys play it today yeah you know with the with the quickness the getting to the basket the elevation playing above the rim um, the incredible scoring ability, as they like to say today, three-level scoring ability. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was sensational. And again, I always preface things like this. I did not see him play live. I was seven when he retired, so I did not get to see him play in his prime. But the people that did will tell you that dude was legit great, was legit phenomenal, unstoppable, unguardable, no three-point line. 
averaged 38 a game in the playoffs in 62, which is insane <laughs> to me. 38, you know, in, in, in the playoffs, you know, scored 61 in the garden was, was the record before Jordan broke it in a, in you know, on a road playoff game. Um, yeah, dude was just phenomenal. He was great. Yeah, if you do your homework at all, uh, by all accounts, you know, Elgin Baylor begat, you know, David Thompson and Dr. J, who begat right. Michael Jordan, who begat every single thing that's come afterwards. He's the first of his kind, you know, the kind of acrobatic, threatening the rim um, just, you know, the athleticism that we associate with the NBA that, you know, people like you and I always tell people, well, you know, the NBA has the best athletes because they're big guys who run fast, who jump really high, who quick twitch, all of that stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> he was the first, first of, of, of its kind. Um, and, you know, he's a pioneer and obviously laid the foundation for all of these guys. And, you know, I think it's important that we talk about the things that came before, because this stuff doesn't just happen in a vacuum, right? Like, you know, guys don't just wake up one day and say, let me 360 dunk or whatever. <laughs> They're right. building on every single thing that has come before them. Yeah. You know, and the reason why we get to enjoy the game that we do in the form that it is today is because of guys like Elgin coming before and becoming a legend. You know, I know you could speak more to this because this is around the time when you started covering the league. Of course, more of his legacy more recently was tied to, you know, being at the head of the horrible Clippers or organization under Donald Sterling. Which yeah, I got a story about that. <laughs> obviously, that wasn't Elgin's fault. We know no. whose fault it was. You yeah. know, it was the freaking crazy, racist, senile um, Sterling who was at the top and was in charge of every decision. But, I, th I, I, you know, I would love for people to understand that this guy was a foundational NBA player, pioneering NBA player, and is has responsibility in so much of the things that we love about the game today. I, 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 look, I've said, I wrote this a year ago, so I'm not new to this. I have Elgin on my D.C. sports Mount Rushmore. He's a D.C. guy. Oh, wow. Um, played at Spingarn, which produced guys like Dave Bing and Sherman Douglas and, you know, all kinds of great players that played in the NBA for a long time. Um, and, you know, Elgin's the best player to ever come out of D.C., ever. Um, you know, and I, you know, right now, I, you know, I, I, we don't know what Kevin Durant's career is going to be like at the end, but I would still say Elgin's career, because of the historical part of it, I think yep. is still more impactful. Um, because Elgin was, you know, Elgin did stuff quietly because that was his nature. But, you know, so, you know, the quiet dudes don't get the credit for what they what they do. But Elgin, this was back in, you know, 59 when the Lakers were having a playing a, a preseason game in West Virginia because they had Hot Rod Hotley on the team who was a West Virginia, played at West Virginia University, was a big star, bringing, the, you know, the young guy back. And they got to the spot, to the hotel and the hotel's like, well, we can't, you know, the black players can't stay here. And Elgin was like, to hell with that. I'm not playing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, and got the, and got some integration going right quick, you know, in West Virginia. So, you know, guys, he was doing that well before, you know, people were making, you know, putting it on T-shirts and bumper stickers. You know, I mean, Elgin was, was, was doing the serious work back when it wasn't popular. Um, but you mentioned, Wise, the, the Clippers uh, stint. <laughs> 
I actually, I, I think maybe I've told this story here before on this show. I don't know if I have or not. Forgive me if I have, um, but I think it bears repeating. Um, when Elgin was the GM of the Clippers, as you mentioned, they were horrible. They were the worst. They were a laughing stock of the league, the worst team in the league for for years and years with uh, with Donald Sterling as the owner. Um, and Elgin had to kind of just work in spite of his owner, who would never let him spend money. Who would, you know, who would just hamstring him at every every indication. But even in spite of all that, by 2006, he had actually built a team that was a good team, playoff team. So they won a playoff series for the first time literally in 30 years. You know, this was a team that had Elton Brand and had Sam Cassell and Cat Mobley. Cat Mobley, yep. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So good. And and a young, pre-injury Sean Livingston, when Sean could go, you know, like before he got hurt. Um, So he had built a good, it was a good team. And and Mike Dunleavy was the coach and they made the playoffs. Um, so we were covering that series for TNT at the time, and I remember going in one of the games at Sta- one of the games at Staples, home game in the first round against Denver, um, and I was talking to Elgin, and Donald Sterling comes in with his wife into the press room, and he see and I look I just look at him just not because of any reason other than I just looked up and happened to notice Donald Sterling walked in. That's it. I wasn't like interested in him in any mean I just kind of looked over and saw him come in and Elgin saw me look and I guess he thought for some reason he had to be gracious and be and so he says have you ever met Mr. Sterling and and I hadn't in 20 you know this was 2006 so I've been covering the league since 1990 so 15 years at that time and had no particular desire to meet Donald Sterling (laughs) everything I heard about him over the years so I so I said, no, I've never met him. Um, and he says, well, do you want to meet him? And I went, yeah, okay. You know, <laughs> just trying to be gracious, right? <laughs> so so he he walks me over to where Donald Sterling is standing there with his wife. And he says, Mr. Sterling, this is David Aldridge with TNT. He's a reporter covering the series. And, he, and Donald Sterling shakes my hand. Was I've never met the man. I've never talked to the man <laughs> ever, <laughs> ever, okay? <laughs> and we talked for about, a minute and a half about the game, you know, Clippers winning or whatever. Donald Sterling squares up and says, do you mind if I ask you a question? And I said, no, sure. Go ahead. Ask me whatever you want. He says, why are all these black women having these babies out of wedlock? (laughs) 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 And I said, I literally did the Michael Jordan. I said, excuse me? (laughs) Oh man! <laughs> and he repeated it. Why are these black women having all these babies oh, out of wedlock? <laughs> and I said, <laughs> I said, well, first, this is not a conversation we can have in the six minutes and twenty three seconds that are left before the start of the third quarter. <laughs> I said, Ooh. you know, we, you know, we, if you want to talk about this now, we could probably oh, have a discussion, goodness. but it's going to take a wow. lot longer than six twenty three. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So I just excused myself and left as soon as I could. <laughs> that is the one and only time was I talked to Donald Sterling. That was it. <laughs> Man, that's that is that is incredible. That yeah. that that you know Elgin basically had to work for those people. Yeah. Um, and you know he had to sue them for his money after he left the team and all of that. And I do want people to realize too, um, just another Elgin Baylor accomplishment. 
He was part of the the threatened strike at the 1964 All-Star Game. That's right. Um, a strike that forced the NBA owners to recognize the players' union. Um, that's a historical event in yes. not just American sports, but but in American labor, period. Right. Um, right. Uh, Elgin was one of the biggest stars in the NBA at that time, and he was part of that movement, obviously, along with Bill Russell and, and others. Jerry West. To get yeah. the, and Jerry mm-hmm. West to mm-hmm. get the players' union recognized. Man, this guy... Yeah. Unbelievable contributions to the game. Absolutely. You know, on the court, off the court, behind the scenes, you know, it, 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 it's, it's crazy to me that he just got a statue. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Insane. As great as he was with the Lakers franchise for a decade, you know, really to, again, another thing that you, that, you know, is part of his import is that it was because they had Elgin Baylor. And because they wound up drafting Jerry West in 1960, that they could move from Minneapolis to right. LA because they, right. they had two stars to, to sell tickets. You know what yep. I mean? Like, so that was the first NBA team to move out West. You know, the Giants or the Dodgers had moved out from Brooklyn to LA, you know, in 58 or 59. Um, but the Lakers were the first NBA team to do it. So um, that was a huge, but they would not have been able to do that if they hadn't had a superstar in Elgin Baylor to sell tickets, yep. you know? Um, so he, he had impact in that way as well. So yeah, it was, this guy was a consequential man. Um, again, did not call attention to himself. Um, but, but need should have gotten his flowers while he was alive, but at least give it to him, you know, now that he's passed, that this was not just, you know, another good player in the league. This was one of the all time great players in the league. Um, and really a, a trailblazer in any number of different ways, uh, in the NBA. And so I just wanted to take a few minutes before we bring Sarah in to kind of talk about the greatness of Elgin Baylor. Rest in peace to legend. Yeah, so we'll take a quick break. We'll bring Sarah in right after this. Let's bring DA into the conversation here. Welcome to Who Comma is Jason on the Athletic Podcast Network. Turned it on and I heard Shaq with the barbs and it's like the bullshit and the braggadocio. I was transported right back into it. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> I think I rap better than Shaq. With David, David Aldridge. Aldridge. Oh, he's totally playing. Yes. <laughs> And then he got their lungs out in front of everybody on TV. Michael was not your friend. It was popping in there. So the Chicago and Detroit stuff, that was real. That was real. I mean, God forbid we don't have scholarship monies and can't pay for the charters for the water polo in Iowa. Iowa. Hoops Welcome to Hoops Five, Four. We have ignition. Welcome back. I am so happy that we have been able to wrangle and this was Waz. Waz is doing so Waz gets a producer credit this week <laughs> as, an, as an associate producer credit right that's the big thing you get in Hollywood right so to 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 get the great Sarah Kustak from the Yes Network Nets analyst um, just fantastic at what she does onto the show Sarah thank you for joining us appreciate it DA Waz this is an honor I really mean it. I adore both of you as people through your work. Um, So thank you. The pleasure is all mine. Much appreciated. Was and again, just so that people don't get it twisted, still sixth all time in three point shooting percentage at DePaul University. Was she rocked? Was thirty nine from deep. Thirty nine career from deep. Listen, listen, D A. So I don't know if you follow Sarah at all on social, but. 
She's not shy about letting people know that she gets buckets. It's, that's not something that she does to buckets hide back from in the, the day, world. <laughs> she is like, listen, I know I'm, you know, I'm doing this talking thing now, but don't get it twisted. I will lace them up and put that work in. So you are, you both know this. The farther time passes from when you actually played, you either become better and people remember you <laughs> as more of a great, or people are like, you. you can't play. You never played. Like, who are you kidding? She left you know, it. Wise. Be like, you actually played basketball. How long ago was this? Amazing. Yeah, she left it up. Was left the hang- left yeah, it up. No, no. Listen, listen. <laughs> Come on she's, now. <laughs> she's serious about hoop, and obviously, if you listen to the Nets broadcast, um, first of all, Sarah, I just want to say I love what you do on there. Not just because obviously you know your stuff, because I think. I, I I think it's kind of overrated knowing your stuff. It's just a matter of reading or doing whatever. But, like, <laughs> the enthusiasm that you bring to it, I love the chemistry that you and Ian have on the, sh- on the um, broadcast because you guys are constantly making me laugh. <laughs> and th- that's what I just love about what you guys bring, the enthusiasm and just the camaraderie and just, like, this is fun. This is supposed to be something fun that we're participating in. And so it's dope to have you on. Plus, you know, it's always good to have some New York-centric stuff happening on here. Saturday. You know, we got to remind the people. You, we're going to keep you in, in touch with your New York We never forget it. We know, we know the West Coast and L.A. hasn't softened you up too much. No, we know no, where, we got to remind the people. We got to remind the people that I'm from the concrete jungles. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, Sarah, so much to talk about. So, so very much to talk mm-hmm. about. Um you know, the Nets are rolling right now. And as we kind of all figured they would, it maybe took them, it maybe took a circuitous path to get to where they are, you know, rolling right now, but they are rolling. And this is without KD for the most part. Um, And so I watched them the other night um, and I'm just fascinated by, you know, the ability and I, and I get it that they're, they have great players that they're playing off of, but the plug and play ability that they can, you know, bring in different types of people. Claxton all of a sudden getting minutes, performing at a high level, playing in crunch time and make and getting buckets in crunch time. And I understand it's read and react, but it but you still have to have some savvy and some chemistry to be able to do that. And I wonder if you're at all surprised, not not so much by Blake, but some of the other players that have been able to come in and really kind of step right in and produce for them. Yes, I think when the Harden trade happened, DA and, and Waz, if you'll remember, a, a big part of that and just the discussion, dialogue, interest in seeing what would happen is did the Nets lose a lot of their depth mm-hmm. to bring in this superstar player? And what we've seen, whether it's Nicholas Claxton, who had been hurt, I think he just played in his 11th game, Bruce Brown, who was out of the rotation at the start of the season. Um, so it wasn't even in the, in the rotation of what we're seeing. He's been an important player. It, there's been a variety of guys that by virtue of, and whether a lot of it's the coaching staff of just players understanding their roles, we know so much with individuals or championship contending team, like so much of it comes down to do guys get their roles? Do they understand their roles? Do they know exactly what they're supposed to do on the floor? And that has been a consistent theme with all these players, whoever's in out. We've seen obviously Kevin Durant has missed the last, I think 15 games and uh, a good stretch of 
these recent weeks. Um, but with Kyrie's been out, different players, everyone just understands where they're supposed to be on the floor. And I have been fascinated by James Harden and yeah, how yeah. he's been able to elevate the play of everyone else. And I, I think everyone deserves credit, of course, but he has been the fulcrum point of how this has all been operating and working because of what he's doing with different players, getting guys involved, uh, the savvy way. Of course, we see the skill sets and scoring, passing numbers. They're, they're tremendous. But he knows when to get guys' touches at certain points of the game, how to get his bigs involved, um, how to manipulate a defense so these players are getting open mm -hmm. and they could be at their best. And I think for all of those reasons, uh, James Harden has just exceeded expectations, not just with his performance on the floor, but his leadership ability mm -hmm. and how he has just orchestrated so much of what this team has been able to do it. And I think because of it, th there's a great chemistry. And it sounds like, you know, I call these games, so some people are like, man, you're, you're drinking no, the no, 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 But I'm like, no, no, no. They, they like each other. Yeah. They enjoy yeah, no, they each do. other. Yes. They have fun. And so when it's starting lineups are changing or no one really cares who's doing what when, um, and you start to taste that that winning nature i think a lot of that and there's still long ways to go in areas to improve but i think for a variety of those reasons that's why we've seen them really thrive and a lot of those other players who those were those are where the question marks are those other players have thrived you know there's so much to unpack with what you just said there uh and i do want to stay on the heart of that you literally took the words out of my mouth because kd has missed I don't know how many games now, but when he left the lineup, they were number one in the league in scoring. In the stretch since KD has been gone, they're the number one league in the league <laughs> in scoring, right? And it's hard not to give a lot of that credit to James Harden because he's the man at the center of everything they do on offense. And, you know, this is the part of the program, Sarah, where I get to pat myself on the back and I get to crush my good friend, <laughs> Mo Doc Hill, who I love very dearly, but I got to crush him right now because he, like so many people, when the trade happened, overthought it and you know I talk to Mo almost every day about something that's happening in the NBA and I was like man the more I think about this like I don't care who you're tossing in that pick and roll if it's Harden surrounded by Kyrie KD and Joe Harris it's oh you're toast you, you can't do anything you're done he's like come on Watts. he hasn't had to be a distributor in so long remember he was doing all of that ISO you know heavy usage stuff in Houston for the last few years um you know they got to play defense all of this and a lot of people overthought it but then Harden just said no I'm a point guard I'm a point guard. I just find people. <laughs> I'm going to find the open man every single time. Like you said, I'm going to manipulate the defense to get guys open. He's just been insane. So, like, I'm happy you brought up James Harden specifically. It's, and it's so much him. And to your point, some of his passes are – it's absurd. It yeah. is absurd not only how he finds guys, but when he finds guys. Um, and because, because of it, it's unlocked their whole their whole offense and how they've been able to play, uh, the pace they're playing at. And you mentioned, like, the fact that Kevin Durant, Durant who I think is the best player on their team, right. and that potent offensive threat that they have not dropped off uh, is something to me that so much of that credit just is due to James and the brilliance that he has with the ball in his hands and how he is able to make reads and make the right play every single time. It does seem like, and tell me, I mean, you've seen him obviously more than I have. Um, 
it seems like Nash is maybe staggering minutes a little bit between Harden and, and Kyrie, though. To, and I think that's smart. I think that's the mm-hmm. right thing to do for sure. But is, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, that is correct. And what we saw early, and I'm not sure these last few games, if we started to see a change and it's varied. Um, and I'm not sure how it may vary more, you know, when like Griffin becomes more integrated with Durant. Uh, but for a while, James Harden was the guy anchoring that second unit. Mm-hmm. So Kyrie would come out first and, and James would come in. And last few games, we saw it a little bit different where Kyrie was that guy. And so whether it's playing with combinations at this point, um, how you start to look at things, but that's been an aspect. The one thing Nash has done, has done, which has been interesting, whether it's staggering minutes or the lineups that he has, as we see through the course end of every quarter, he's putting in his, his closers or Mm -hmm. his starters or whoever it is. Um, and they are taking the end of quarters as end the game situations. Mm -hmm. And there are small things that happen throughout the course of a game that I think we see with, with the limited practice time with the group and the new group that you have together with guys being in and out. There are parts throughout the game that you wonder, okay, how, how are they using this in the long term in the big stretch of the way in which they're getting those type of reps. So to stay on Nash for a little bit, because when the season started, you know, it was, it was a little touch and go. <laughs> and, you know, we all heard the chatter of I mean, what is, does this guy know what he's doing? He's a rookie coach. Um, He freaking gets Mike D'Antoni to be his lead assistant. who doesn't know defense. And it was all this chatter, so much chatter. So I want to know what you've seen from Nash as the season has started. Cause you know, he is a rookie coach and he does have to learn, but obviously by all accounts, He's got an aptitude for basketball, clearly. So he's clearly getting better as he goes along. What have you seen from Steve Nash? I've seen a, you're funny, because th- <laughs> those are the things we hear. We just kind of chuckle. Uh, one, I mean, talk about a bizarre, unique year to right. have be your first year yep. as a head coach. So there's a lot of things in terms of a lack of, you know, time in training camp. And then all of a sudden your roster and the, the way it looks is changed. What? 10, 12, 13 games into the season. Um, so it changes a lot of probably the philosophy and schematically what you're doing. He's been the, the one consistent. He has been such a great communicator with these guys. I think mm. instantaneously is, instantaneously he had credibility given his you know his performance and play as a hall of fame player but i think the interesting part to your point of you know whether it's fans whether it's people and you get it of like oh why isn't he calling a timeout here and timeout Mm -hmm. there and you're not uh the things you nitpick it has been said by nash it has been said by players he's like i want these guys to feel a sense of responsibility of how they need to figure things out in the floor. And there's so much of his mind as a point guard or as a player that I think you could see, I'm going to, I'm going to give you guys enough rope to see how far you could go in strategizing or problem solving on your own. And then we'll step in as coaching staff when need be. And, and we've started to see more of that. I think just the consistency of when you expect, you know, some of those in-game situations and timeouts and whatnot, uh, that has changed and that has advanced, but players have said they appreciate the fact that with him, it's not when he speaks, you're going to listen up because he's not speaking just to speak. He is not worried about who has the power, who has the responsibility or accountability. Um, it's shared amongst a lot of the coaching staff and a lot of the players. And so I, I think we've seen too, just even some of the things defensively early on and 
you know, it's been said a lot, and we know that they do not profile as a good defensive team. Uh, but the improvements have been made mm-hmm. over the course of the past couple of weeks uh, because of the fact that a, a lot of what they're doing, the philosophies guys just get it better. They understand. They understand what's asked them. So. Um, you know, there's a lot, a lot of time left in the season. I think so much of what we start to really evaluate comes in the playoffs, the postseason, the expectations that are on this team. Uh, but thus far, he, he's been a unifier and how he has been able to bring these players together, communicate openly and honestly with them. And I think, you know, amongst all things, just the mutual respect that exists, because, you know, it's not easy, you know, any, anyone, when you have star players, with very big personalities, Mm -hmm. different, unique personalities. And then you're also making sure that you are treating the rest of the team uh, with, with that same type of accountability. That's not easy to manage as as much as you're talking about what you're doing with, with the floor strategy, how you're managing personalities as a part of it. And I think to this point, it's, it's been really impressive. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I will say one thing about about Nash that I think people <clears throat> have always kind of underrated. Steve's a competitive little SOB now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Steve Steve will give you a little give you a little elbow back in the day now. He was not above scrapping now. <laughs> and I, I always as much as I thought it was going to be really hard for him just because he's a first year head coach, not because he wasn't didn't know what he was talking about, but I just I think people kind of forget. Dude was a two-time MVP now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he wasn't, yeah. wasn't no buster out there. You know what I'm saying? So like, he does have credentials. That, he wasn't Scotty Brooks, is what you're saying. You know what I'm no saying? disrespect like, to other, Scotty Brooks. There's other first-year head coaches <laughs> that you go, okay, he knows the game, but you know, but Nash is like, come on now. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't like, even a Scott Skiles. You know what I mean? It's like this he guy was perennially <laughs> going to all-star games, was on a era-defining team, yeah. won MVPs. Like this guy is his credibility is unassailable. Yeah, yeah. No. And, and for those but I think you're spot on. So it's like, oh, n- n- don't mistake his kind yeah. disposition yeah. and you know how he <laughs> seems composed and poised and, and I'm sure that resonates. I mean, the there's a lot of um of course disappointing parts or challenging parts of this year for us. Uh, like I miss we, we can't be in practice watching watching right, some of those right, moments, yeah. you know, or getting to be around around the team or just seeing the interaction of D'Antoni or Jacques Vaughn or Ime Doka or how that all works or Amari Stoudemire, but his, like, in general, all of that, the way in which um, 
you know, you see him at certain points where that competitive nature comes out or wanting to win or caring about winning, because for as much as we know, this regular season is part of a process of building towards what they want to achieve in the postseason. It's on his face of how much he cares. A lot of this though, Sarah, is that he, he looks like a park slope dad, right? Like he looks (laughs) like he's got green juice in one hand (laughs) and apple slices. It is a park slope there, right? <laughs> but he'll bust your ass on the court, though. <laughs> it's how you hustle people. Yeah, you go it's to the good. Court as well. It's but good. But you're right. You're right. But I do want to get into, because I think the Nets are the most fascinating team in the league because of so many of the things that are going on, right? Um, we just saw the news that Kyrie Irving is taking PTO again. How many sick days does this guy have? I mean... We get six weeks a year or something like that here at the Athletic. It feels like Kyrie has unlimited vacation days. Like, what is that dynamic like? Is everybody cool with that? Like, because this seems unusual, um, the amount of personal time off that Kyrie Irving has taken this year. I What I will say about that, because those are all excellent questions, and I think that goes back to the chemistry and dynamic of this team of some of the star players of national, everyone. Um, When Kyrie took his first leave and came back, he was extraordinary Mm. and he was playing some Mm. of the best basketball we have seen. Um, And I think with some of that initially, it was not what, but it was how and how it's communicated, um, how it's expressed. And I think in that, that first first instance a lot of that had been cleared up uh whether it's front office whether it's team Mm. coaching staff you name it and so to me with this circumstance and all we know to this point is that he won't be accompanying the nets on their three-game road trip like i don't in my mind if if his teammates are cool with it if the organization like if front office coaching staff if they're cool with it then none of us should should care i mean they gotta be cool with a lot they gotta be cool with sage with walking sticks i mean they gotta be cool with i've saged my home oh people with a lot of sage Sage is supposed to, it, it creates good energy. I'm not a, I, I, I'm not a know-all on this, but okay. it's supposed to get away like the bad vibes, create good energy. Do you have any crystals in the it. home, Sarah? Do I do. I do, uh, but see, I don't. Sarah's I'm not doing familiar. the new age Brooklyn. She's doing too much with this. <laughs> yeah, she's taking I, this too crystals, far. I'll, I'll tell you this. The crystals were a gift to me from a friend who's a right. little more advanced on that. So <laughs> I can't speak to the crystals. You know what? I will take all the good energy I can get. Are you kidding me? Like, bring me, bring me yes. the energy. Uh, but, but I don't know. So this will be another instant. But to me, like, the way his teammates have, whether spoken about that, talked about it, embraced him. Like sometimes it just takes whatever team it like, it's a brotherhood, it's a family. So if, if you got your guys back, if you get it and you understand where someone's coming from, then at the end of the day, like how someone performs when they're there. And if the team is good with it, to me, that that's where I leave it alone. Plus they're rolling. I'm not going to overthink it. it. You know, when you're winning, everything is fine. You know, like what are you really going to say when your team is is successful on the court? So, so Sarah, you know, you, we talked about it a little bit before, um, when you're scoring a buck 25, it doesn't really matter if you play defense. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, okay, try to stop us. You know, like, 
I'm, but but there is a but. Um, there will have to be some improvement in the playoffs. It doesn't have to be like they don't have to become the, the 2004 Pistons lockdown unit, but they do have to improve some. Where can they get better defensively? I, so what we have seen out of the last however many weeks it's been um, since February 10th, I think it's the day they point to of this current stretch of winning 15 to 17. The defense has been pretty much middle of the pack. I think they from that span, it's mm-hmm. been 15, which to me, that's the goal. Like okay. you're not going to necessarily be a top 10 defense. Maybe they think this is me speaking, not them. Uh, but you just, you need to be able to your point to get stops when you need to, what we have seen is them getting timely stops. So end the game, closing game, they have been terrific. Some of that has been the scoring. Um, but a lot of it has come down to them getting stops defensively. To me, the, the biggest area that they can improve on that and where they have been horrific at times when they're giving teams a ton of points and otherwise is taking care of the basketball. Mm-hmm. Like they, the, the, when you break, actually break down the games, uh, the teams have scored a ton on them or when they were so bad early on in the season, they're turning the ball over so much. The teams are getting 15, 20, you know, 25 extra shots in a game. And a lot of that is, is, is been cleaned up. Cause I think it's just an attention to detail. Um, right. you know, whether it's a carelessness, whether it's being a little reckless or trying to thread the needle too much. But to me, that is the the area. If you want to be optimistic about that improvement, their their transition defense isn't going to have as much pressure on it. They're not going to have teams getting so many runouts if they clean up that area. The other one is they're giving up so many offensive rebounds to teams. Yeah. Um, so second chance points were a huge <clears throat> issue, um, and and that still could be a factor. But in my mind, for them, when you think about the postseason, if those are areas that you are focusing on to make it more of a half-court game, uh, they've not been great. They've not been great, but they've been able to get stops when needed. And their switching scheme, um, mm-hmm. as, as you guys know, when you're switching one through five, like that takes some time. Yeah, I think yeah, to really right perfect and adjust. And there has been signs of progress there. Um, Nicholas Claxton, I think is going to be a really interesting piece to mm-hmm. watch what he becomes. Mm-hmm. He's young, he's yes. young. So yes. how does that experience factor in when you're talking about more high pressurized almonds? Um, but this switching scheme, it seems like they are understanding it better. So there, there are things that I think you can look at and say, okay, I can see them being able to be solid enough defensively with this juggernaut offense that they can make it work. Um, but those those are still things that are that are yet to be seen. I'm glad you brought up the Claxton thing because and, and because this is hoops adjacent. We ask the tough questions here, Sarah. Like we love you, but we're gonna ask you the tough questions. Bring it, Wise. Bring it. Because, That's why we appreciate. Because you. I want to talk about DeAndre Jordan. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son, Evan, continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless, modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and Cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Now, 
Now your ideas don't have to wait. Now they have everything they need to come to life. Dell Technologies and Intel are creating technology that loves ideas, loves expanding your business, evolving your passions. We push what technology can do so great ideas can happen right now. Find out how to bring your ideas to life at Dell.com. Welcome to now. Who? They had no problem. And, and listen, listen, Sarah. I know, you know, and this is the thing. I knew it was going to be a tough question because DeAndre Jordan is somebody who has a reputation for being one of the most lovable guys in the NBA. Every single person in the NBA loves DeAndre Jordan, right? And that goes from teammates to the staff to everybody loves DeAndre Jordan. But let's face it. Jared Allen was way better than this dude. They had no problem shipping him out of town. And now I'm seeing Claxton is starting to get busy. And if I'm a Nets fan, I'm worried. I'm like, are we going to do this DeAndre Jordan charade 30 minutes in the playoffs, 30 plus minutes because he's boys with Kyrie, because he's boys with Katie? Are we going to play that game or are we going to actually try to put our best lineups out there and try to win this championship? I'm going to first turn this back at you before I actually answer that question. But do you think when push comes to shove, when you're in the postseason, when you're in the playoffs, that Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving or James Harden are going to be cool with not having whoever is helping the team most to win. Ah. Like when, when you're taught, when, when they're, when they're title. <laughs> And their title winning time when it's winning time you know and so and, but and, and you don't need to answer that why i will just say this i will just say this about Kyrie and james harden specifically their ideas about who their best teammates have been throughout the years have not been the smartest ideas in my own personal opinion. KD is different. This is the guy who said, I'm going to go to Golden State and be on one of the best teams ever. Those two, James Harden got, got Chris Paul shipped out of town for, 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 for Westbrook. Um, Westbrook. Westbrook. Yeah. And, and Kyrie Irving. I mean, come on, this guy, LeBron James, wasn't a good enough teammate really, in his opinion. We've I, really know. gone adjacent. We've really gone adjacent now. <laughs> Some would say derailed. Some would say hoops derailed. But that's okay. I don't think that is my fault. So I'll, I'll give me the question back. Uh, no, I think I, I think these these are these are real things to look at. Um, and when the James Harden trade happened, uh, we saw a, a rejuvenated DeAndre Jordan. There was more life mm. out of him and how he was playing. Gotcha. And now with Nicholas Claxton, you know, there has been a vast difference in performance and the way those two individuals are playing and what they're doing on the floor. And the last couple of games, we've seen Claxton finishing and closing out games. Um, so I don't know, like, I, I still think they're your best. Once you have everyone healthy and once Kevin Durant is back, like your best lineup to this point is playing small and having your front court be Jeff Green and Kevin Durant. So um, it's going to be interesting to see with the minutes how that plays out um, when you have Durant back, given where he's going to be on the floor. Uh, but I, I don't know. And, and Waz, your point is um, a very good one. And I think a lot of that comes back to the coaching staff, Steve Nash, um, and that respect that exists among players of knowing that it, when push comes to shove, he's going to have to make tough decisions. And we've seen tough conversations. We've seen a lot of dialogue with guys on the floor, including Harden and DeAndre Jordan. 
Um, so I think everyone is curious to see how that plays out. But I think Claxton, to your point, is someone that has opened up a ton of eyes. Mm. Um, and the more experience he gets and the better he plays, uh, the more those conversations are going to be happening. Well, we know Sarah Kustak is behind him, so he's got yeah. that in his favor. <laughs> I actually, you know, Sarah, I actually have said all, all year that I think their best chance of being a good defensive unit is KD at the five. Because yes. it gives you yeah. rim protection and switchability. Yep. 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 You know, mm-hmm. um, and, th- and that's what we've seen. And DA, when he, when KD was playing and healthy, that's, that's how they were closing games. Yeah. Um, that was by far their best side. Jeff Green has been tremendous in how he's been shooting right. um, and doing right. a lot of little things. Uh, so we'll see how that play, we'll see how Blake Griffin fits in. But to your point, and that's like the other aspect of the defense, um, with with how they've been playing and a little bit of improvements, like you're forgetting their best defensive player is been on the bench. Yeah. Through yeah, these right, last right, seventeen you know, right. Durant, for as much as we could talk about what he is offensively, mm-hmm. he was by far their best defender yes. early on. Yes. Um, so that that could help fortify some things. Yeah. And that just makes me wonder, like there have been rumors about them and you know, I know you, you can't speak about specific players, but you know, there's you know, guys out there that could be buyout candidates. I really yep. don't know what the I don't know that you can really help this team with another buyout, even if it's a big. I mean, I I guess I can understand it if if offensive rebounds have been a problem. You want somebody that can defensive rebound, I guess. But to your point, you know, Durant's going to be pl- that guy in the playoffs. He's going to be playing 41, 42 minutes a game. Yeah. So who exactly is going to give you those sp- sterling six minutes that you need you know at the back of five spot so i don't that's know. And, yeah and that's i don't know i mean, will see what happens um here with the trade deadline approach in the buyout market and there may be something but a lot of it i look i don't look at anything and say that they absolutely need i think some of it just is insurance or some added depth at different parts or different positions uh you know perimeter defense whatever Waz has got a smile on him. <laughs> well, because, D, because DA because DA said, I know you can't tell us why. Why can't you tell us what oh, you've been it's hearing, tampering. Sarah? It's tampering. <laughs> tell us. Yeah, don't you? You have a tampering pod. I'm not on your tampering pod. I'm on your Jason pod. No, because, you know, related to that, related to not just the bio, but to KD, and we've been talking for over a half an hour. We haven't even gotten into the KD of it all. Um, and he's missed all of these games. And obviously, nobody's more plugged in with the team than you are, Sarah. I know you're hearing things. Um, how worried should we be about this Durant injury? Um, is it just being extra precautious? Is it something to really, really be monitoring? Like, I, you, the team is killing people. So <laughs> the injury hasn't been put at the forefront, right? Like, when you're just whooping everybody's ass, it's like, you know, we can take our time with this KD thing. But, like, how serious is this? Because I don't think they can win the championship without KD, obviously. Right. Um, well, you cannot overstate how important Kevin Durant is to this team. However, and I'm speaking for myself, not for the team, but I, I don't think it's anything concerning. Mm. I think they are being overly cautious okay. as you would with a player like Kevin Durant. Um, you think about the injuries coming off of, and obviously I think just at this juncture, there is no need to rush back. I don't know if they're plan or strategy would be any different if they were losing games as opposed to, you know, rolling through teams as they have uh, the last month and a half or so. But to me, it is all about just making sure he is in peak physical condition. 
um, by the time they get towards this final stretch uh, heading into the playoffs. And I think, you know, I, I don't know the timeline. I don't know what the timeline looks like, but I do know that uh, what he's been doing, he's been doing some one-on-one, two-on-two. He's been doing some shooting drills, um, some of the movement things that we have heard, and it's not been full court, it's not been five on five, but in my mind, and again, this is just my mind as a player having injuries, you wouldn't be doing those type of things if there was something, when it comes to a hamstring, like those mm-hmm. aren't the things you do with a, mm-hmm. with a still heavily injured, um, you know, hamstring or lay or just whatever they're working with. So I think a lot of it is just making sure you have plenty of runway um, for the ramp up, get him healthy physically, but also just legs under you all the things before you're putting him back on the court. And they're still, you know, I know we're getting kind of towards the end of the season, but we're still what they're almost two months away from Six when weeks, the playoffs yeah, are starting. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I do believe, you know, adding the fact that he's, one of probably the most seamless, versatile players to refit back and reacclimate into a lineup um, for a variety of reasons. I, I just don't think. I think anytime a player of his caliber is injured, you're also you're always a little. Um, you've got a little bit of anxiety about it, but I, I don't think there is heavy concern. I think more of it is just being overly cautious. All right, so aggregators, you heard that. KD is completely fine. <laughs> he will be back in no time. Sarah Kustak, who is the most plugged in once. Nets person uh, in the media, Sarah, just gave it to us first. Why is Sarah not on Nets games anymore? What happened to her? <laughs> no, 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 no. All right, Kurt, Steve Kirk getting all pissed off, being mad, talking about he was taken out of context. Sarah's going to be talking about taking out of context and shit. So I want. Waz's name out. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know y'all saw that. That was kind of Wazney Lambert. Sarah, I gotta ask you, as somebody that is struggling, I'm trying so hard. Like I'm oh my God, this COVID thing is killing me because I haven't been to my gym in a year because I'm just not gonna go till I get my shots. I'm just not going. I'm not because I don't want to die. Okay. So <laughs> I like it. Uh so I'm doing everything. I'm outside every day, walking, jogging, running, lifting, every, every, ever, ever, everything. When you are used to getting a run in to get your exercise, to well, at least to help get your exercise. Are you still able to do runs during COVID? Are you finding people that will go do runs with you? And if not, how are you compensating? Well, I don't do runs with people. Um, Those who know me best know I don't actually, there's maybe I can count on one hand the number of people I will run with. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a very specific, even if you're my friend, even if I love you, you know, even like I've had boyfriends that I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, this ain't going to work. I need need our pace to be. Um, No, you can tell the truth. You don't want to give them that workout on the court. It's okay. Yeah. You know, so I'm more of a, I, you know, you still, you still want to, you still want to like someone by the time you're done with it. Uh, but I've still, but I've been getting out where I'm at. Waz knows New York was, uh, I'm on the West, I'm the West side, uh, okay. off the Hudson. So I still have been running, but I, I run by myself. I'll talk to you okay. on my iPods. Okay. Um, so our little earbuds. So DA, if you or Waz want to call me and walk and t- you can do what you're doing and I'll run with you. Uh, but that, but that's no, I mean, I mean playing, but do you play, do you get, do you play with anyone? No, 
No. Okay. No, that no three on three, with, no two even on with two. The mask, yeah. No, I don't need to. Yeah. I've been, I've been overly cautious. Um, mm-hmm. with just making sure I'm not, not too close to any people have no, them breathing on me. Sense. And I don't know all the specifics and all the rules, but no, no, no. I figure that may get me into trouble. Yeah. No, I, I, I couldn't even think about it. I just, the whole yeah. motion. And of no being, gyms. I'm with you. Same deal. So I'll do some yoga. I'll do some, some yoga through my laptop in my, in yeah. my apartment and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just can't. So what, what are the Nets doing? Um, what are the Nets doing as far as bringing people back? How are they handling that? I know the Knicks had announced weeks ago that they would do games with 3000 people, et cetera, et cetera. What are the Nets doing as far as letting fans back into the stadium? Uh, they started and you're going to need to double check me on the date, but it was the end of February that they started having a low number of fans. So I think they started with about 200, 300 people. Mm-hmm. They have slowly increased it. My understanding to this point due, um, due to the New York laws is that they are capped at about 17, 1800. Mm-hmm. And I believe they have been close to that number. Um, part of the ticket price is a, is a COVID test coming in. Mm-hmm. So I think they need, and you guys know that, to take the PCR test a, right. a day or two before clear and then take a test on the way in as well. Um, everyone is, as you can imagine, socially distanced. You got spread out in the seats. They got some suites, um, plexiglass in a lot of different areas. So it's been good. I'll say this, um, just having fans, I know it's only 17, 1800, having other people in the building mm-hmm. has just been a nice boost of, of energy and juice. Yeah. Well, Sarah, I've been telling this joke all season that um, <laughs> Nets and Clippers announcers had good practice with quiet buildings. <laughs> Let's face it, man. Nobody is calling you guys freak. <laughs> Nobody's calling you guys Golden State or anything like that. You know, Michael. like. <laughs> you know what was. It's by no fault of your own, Sarah. You're doing your job. You're A1. These Brooklyn faithfuls. They, they, you know, there were some moments. You're forgetting the early years of Barclays and Brooklyn. Maybe you were still around here. Yeah, when the you know when the KG and Paul Pierce, Paul Pierce. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, when they yeah. were complaining about the the crowds. When Jay Z had the when Jay Z had <laughs> they the, were had the, literally had the complaining spot. in public about their home fans. <laughs> it's a new era. Uh, yeah, it's a new era. That's it. The city's in a new management. But no, related to that, and and I tell that joke because I do want to talk about the Nets. And Knicks dynamic where you have a team on 33rd and 8th Avenue that's basically been incompetent for 20 freaking years straight yet they still have some kind of trance they must have put a I don't know a hex a potion on these people in New York that just will refuse to stop their devotion to this damn team and then meanwhile you have the Nets who have been pretty freaking competent even after the KG deal and, oh, we got killed by, they got killed by Boston and all that crap. They've been 
such one of the model franchises in the league as far as like, look, we don't even have draft picks and we put together <laughs> We're still a competent competitive product. team. Yeah. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And yeah. and so what's it gonna take to get these people to to to, to get out of this their, their their trance? It's like the zombie apocalypse over there, Sarah. What do what do we what do we gotta do to these people to support the the, the, the Nets? Because I seen that that first James Harden game broke a Nets record. I don't remember what the number was, but I saw it, I was like, really? Really, New York? This is the energy we could muster for this freaking what could potentially be an all-time team. What's it going to take, Sarah? Tibbs is Tibbs is keeping this trance going. Give it, <laughs> give it uh, Trust no, me, my my text it. inbox agrees with you, Sarah. Here, here's what I will say on that, um, because I am truly a big believer that when if the Knicks and the Nets are great at the same time. That is nothing but great things yeah. to me for just New York basketball. Yep. And it, it, this is across the league as well. But I think that's a beautiful thing. Like there is nothing better than if, if a Knicks fan and a Nets fan can have a real argument about yeah. whose team is better. Right. Um, and I don't even think, you know, the way fandom go, like real ride or die fans, like they're not going to leave their team yeah. just because it's hitting some bumps and challenges. So I, I don't, one, I don't even think it's about that. And I think for this Brooklyn Nets organization, to them, like their focus is winning, winning a title and putting together a title contended team and what Durant and Harden and Kyrie can do now, but also for, for years to come and how it can build the organization. So I think the Nets are, are not concerned about what's happening with the Knicks and more concerned about how do we, how do we make a championship caliber team? I think from the fan side of things, when you look at all that, like, I, I don't know, you see young kid, like what a, this, this may already be a generation of Knicks fans um, that aren't going to change and what they sure. see, but you see the young kids growing up and young kids now in Kyrie, maybe their favorite player yeah, or right. Kevin Durant or yeah. so to me in one, but I, and I don't know, you know, I don't know what changes the balance of it because the New York Knicks are the New York Knicks. And right. I think that's, you know, for those who love and appreciate and adore basketball, you know, I grew up in Chicago and I, no matter what the Chicago Bulls are, there's an understanding of what I have and just a reverence for the the sure. organization and franchise and the history of it. So I think but, but Sarah, you've got to see those videos of Knicks fans literally having a parade outside of MSG because they were 17 I'm and 16. I'm happy for you. You got to want someone had a, um, enthusiastic with the Knicks. With, I mean, with the Nets. I, like, I'm watching this thing. I'm literally on my phone at Starbucks, like, in awe of these people. <laughs> like, what? Wait, what did you was? What did you grow up as? Who who were you a fan? of? I was agnostic, honestly, because I was no. a hooper. Yeah, because I was a hooper. I was a Jordan fan. I rooted for hoops excellence. So I looked up to Michael Jordan. I was like, this is who I need to be. Like, don't do drugs. Work on your jump shot. Do all of it. It was literally Michael Jordan. Everybody around me um, were Knicks fans. Like my brother, my sister, my my stepfather, everybody, my mom, they're all Knicks fans. Me, I was just like, I, that that basketball didn't move me. I'm sorry. 
Respect to Derek Harper and Greg Anthony. They didn't move me as he didn't like He didn't like 88-87 games. Well, <laughs> no, that didn't move me. You know, Hubert Davis didn't move me, you know? And so I was just I was just always agnostic. When they traded for uh, Sprewell, they brought Camby in. That team was, like, fun. That was the mm-hmm. opposite of what they were doing. Although less successful over a longer period of time, they were fun, that team. And I like that team. But I never, I never scratched that itch because I was such a freaking hoops fanatic, and I thought I was going to Duke University and all of this craziness. So I, I just didn't care about Knicks players. <laughs> they just didn't See, do yeah, but this is this is why you are such a tremendous member of the media because you're able to step back and just appreciate I mean, what's happening on biases. the court. You don't have all these. I have my biases, but really, Sarah, just against my picks. I I just want to look smart. <laughs> I want I want to know. I want to feel like I know what I'm talking about. So. <laughs> You know, wow. that's my well, bias. I, just, I think in general, I still, but I think it's, I, I think it's fun. I am excited about what the Knicks are doing this year. Like I'm able to, to step back. Maybe it is because I was born and raised in Chicago. Um, and of course I want the, the Nets to be great, but like, I just, I want to see great basketball of and course. you want to feel that rivalry. And if you're in a place and you're in a market, uh, that has such passionate fans, like you, you don't want, no matter who you're rooting for, I think it, it, it doesn't do anyone any good or any justice if you, you don't have some of the best teams. And I, I, you know, I think for the Knicks, even what they're doing this season, like it's fun. It's yeah. fun. I'd like to see those. Per- keep on, keep on. Yeah. Those, put your, put <laughs> Sarah, you you put hear that condescension, DA? Uh, do you hear it? Social distance. <laughs> Don't be around each other with no masks on. There, yeah. there's nothing better than playoff basketball in the Garden. Nothing, mm-hmm. zero, nothing. It's best. It's the best. Sarah, cannot thank you enough. This has been fantastic. Wait, you, we got to go? Yeah, we got to go. My producer is like, you know, oh. he, want, he wants to make sure you get to whatever you're doing next. And, you know, <laughs> I got to get back on the phones to see who's who the next are signing, who the Nets are signing. If they're waiting for Andre Drummond, who you can't talk about. It's OK. Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> Sarah, <laughs> she's on the Yes Network. Normally, it's with Iron Eagle. Iron's doing the tournament now, and now it's Ryan Rucco. And, and of course, Sarah, it's a much better broadcast with Rucco. I think you can, we can. <laughs> we can okay, now you're really getting it. Why? I thought Wiles was the one that was getting me into trouble. DA is getting in on this. You two are the absolute best. Thank you so much for having me. Thank, Thank you, you so Sarah. much, Sarah. Really appreciate it. Please stay safe and be well. And hopefully, we'll get to see you during the playoffs somewhere. Yes, absolutely. You all do the same. All right, all right. Hey, y'all, leave that five-star review. You know where to do it. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you know where you catch Hoops Adjacent and the Athletic NBA show. Leave that five-star review. If it's less than five stars, please keep it to yourself. See ya.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.